Hello strangers and welcome to the latest episode of In Focus. Uh, I'm one of your co-hosts Paul Anderson here with co-host Zig Bingham. Zig, firstly uh, let me take the opportunity to welcome you to Strangers in a Cinema. Um, it's a bit of a bizarre welcome because you would have heard uh, three previous episodes of In Focus by the time this goes out, all featuring Zig's voice. They were recorded with Zig for a previous project it was working on. So um, this is the first time we've actually recorded a new show for Strangers in a Cinema. So Zig, welcome. Hello. Oh, thanks for having me. Hello. It's it's uh, nice to be here. Nice to um, become part of the team, basically. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. How are you doing? Yeah, all good. All good. No, it's good. It's good to have you. As, as people are aware, we've done a few shows together before, and um, and then I was I was very eager to keep this Star Trek series going because I was enjoying it. So um, here we are. Yeah, a little um, bit so late because we'd, we'd like uh, when we started recording this, it was um, sort of the beginning of COVID, wasn't it? And then um, all sorts of things happened and uh, some personal tragedy on my behalf so it, it, there's a bit of a gap between this one and the last one so um, it might it might I think it might sound like we haven't spoken to each other for a while which is kind of true so uh, <laughs> it might not have the flow that the last one had we'll see how it goes I think I think we'll be right I think we'll be right I think the excitement is there to do another show together so mm. yeah so as I said this is this is part four in the In Focus series where we've been talking about the Star Trek films. We are going to go through the Star Trek, uh, the Star Trek cinematic universe. For one, everything needs to be called a cinematic universe these days. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. We'll just we'll just go with we're going to go through the Star Trek films. Uh, so we're going to run through them all the way up until Star Trek Beyond. So there's quite a few episodes ahead of us. After that, the In Focus will probably shift focus. Sorry for the bad pun there. Um, to a any films that we decide we want to chat about. So um, look forward to that one. But between now and then, uh, if you aren't a Star Trek fan, I'm sorry, um, go back to Stranger in Cinema, the other show that we do on the same channel, because there's probably more there for you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, as I, as I mentioned, this is the fourth in the Star Trek series. So today we are talking about uh, Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. Um, this is the, as I said, the fourth instalment in the Star Trek uh, film series directed by Leonard Nimoy here, uh, which is which is quite interesting. Um Zig, fond yeah. memories of this one? Yes, actually. This was the first Star Trek I watched when I had moved to New Zealand. And uh, also, this is the first uh, space communist uh, movie that I ever watched as well, where they, uh, where it becomes very clear that the Federation uh, is founded by communists. It's great. So, yeah, it's great. There is no money, but we'll get to that point later. Yeah, absolutely. I wasn't aware this was the first time that that had come up actually. So that's um that's fascinating. There's yeah. quite a lot of firsts in here then. So, yeah, the kind of the premise of this, uh, if you if you're one of the handful of people listening to this who's never seen it, um, is that in the beginning of the film, uh, and basically we'll go through the film kind of blow by blow and see what we thought. But the premise of this is, 
a giant probe um, appears on Earth in this very similar way to the original uh, Star Trek, the motion picture zig, I think would be fair to say on, the, on, on here. Yeah, it's almost like a rehashing, isn't it? It's, it's like a, 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 a reboot within the franchise. It's a very similar story. I mean, it's the V'ger probe, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's an, essentially, which, you know, is good and bad. I mean, it looks great, um, but we, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So, yeah, the, the premise is Giant Probe arrives on Earth, um, is trying to communicate with something. That something turns out to be humpback whales. How fucking cool is that? Oh, spoilers. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> 30-year-old movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, the humpback whales are unfortunately now extinct on Earth, um, which prompts the fugitive crew of the Enterprise to have to travel back through time in their stolen um, stolen Klingon warship. Uh, travel, travel back through time to the 1980s, and then the film takes an about turn into what can best be described as a fish out of water comedy. Um, so this is a this was a big departure, I think. Do you think this was a gamble when they were putting this together, Zig? Uh, it, I, I, I tried to cast my mind back to, to what was going on at the time. Um, I think it was, to a certain degree, a bit of a gamble, in in the respect that um, not with Leonard Nimoy because he's always, he's proven himself a good director in Star Trek Three, uh, and he would later go on do Three Men and a Baby. So this sort, I guess, this this was like his um, uh, calling card to do to start doing comedy and stuff like that, but. Um, yeah, a real, a real departure, but it had a real energy to it. And I do remember it being really popular at the time. Like it was like it didn't, it, it didn't really take itself too seriously. I think like like in Star Trek Three, the crew of the Enterprise get to interact and do a lot more than they did in One and Two. Like it usually it's just centered around the three main leads, but in this, everyone gets their moment to shine, and it's all the better for it. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think there's more of a more of a human touch to this. So, I mean, the film. We'll we'll, we'll start on, on going through the film and what we thought of it. I guess um, the. I mean, the opening of this uh, is cool. As I said, the giant probe arrives. This this probe and all the kind of scenes on Earth. I'll be honest with you, it blew my mind as a kid when I first watched this <laughs> film. It, genuinely, we we talk about it having a lighter tone. I found all the stuff on Earth and this probe like that was going to threaten to destroy the planet absolutely terrifying as a kid. Um, and the kind of the scenes of the scenes of like mass destruction that happen at the beginning, I think, are really effective. It's yeah, it's a great premise. It's a, it makes a lot more sense. Um, it's a really haunting sound as well, isn't it? That this probe makes as well. It's it's spooky. It's very alien, which a lot of the Star Trek ships don't look very. You know, they look like variations of the all made by the same sort of design team. But this is just totally alien. And uh, I, yeah, it, it's a good opening. I mean, um, and and again, it's a nice continuation. Like they haven't forgotten about the previous film. This, I mean, it starts off on Vulcan. Well, it starts off with the probe, but then it cuts back to the crew on Vulcan, and then they, um, you know, they've they've got to come back to Earth. But uh, yeah, I, I I really liked it. I really, I'm a sucker for Star Trek films anyway. So. Um, <laughs> uh, it, yeah, yeah, it's good. I like it. But what the other cool, the other really cool thing that I liked as well is this is all done on the backdrop, as you say, with the um, the crew, the crew of the Enterprise now kind of outcast and wanted fugitives for the events of Star Trek Three. So it cuts to in the opening moments as well. We cut to the kind of the trial, um, the trial of um, of Kirk and his crew, um, and the Klingons just saying, "Oh, they want the book thrown at him. He needs to die. There can be no peace." And it gives you a really, I feel like a really good. Um, 
really good insight into like the, the diplomacy of the Star Trek universe. Um, but it does it really, really quickly. It doesn't. It, it doesn't never. These are the kind of scenes that if I if you go like, if you look at Star Wars Episode One, for example, the opening crawl where it's like an a Galactic Trade Federation and there was an embargo <laughs> and you just kind of fall asleep. Um, yeah. Whereas this did like Galactic Diplomacy really quickly and I thought really well. And I love the idea, as you say, that it you know it wasn't it it's kind of feels like the third part of a trilogy with Star Trek 2 and, and the search for Spock it kind of concludes the it's, it's very much its own very thing much. but it does kind of conclude the story because they're in the stolen Klingon ship yeah. um, and they're they're kind of facing trials so yeah I love the fact that it's set up I love the fact you've got Kirk and the crew kind of on the back foot and not really and kind of ostracized by the Federation for destroying ships and breaking orders and a and a long list of charge sheets that you'd think it's very difficult for them to come back from um, but on their return to Earth, <laughs> on their return to Earth, um, they discover the alien probe, um, and they they hear the signals it's sending out. They get broken up message from um, from fe the Federation president that Earth is Earth is essentially fucked at this point. Um, they're in a bad way. It's ionizing the, the the probe is ionizing the atmosphere. It's caused like a hundred percent crowd clover, which is blocking out the power of the sun. Um, this I thought was cool actually Zig because this kind of for me alluded to the fact that the Federation was running almost an entirely renewable energy um, I quite, <laughs> quite like that yeah. moment and this is this is back in the 80s where um, and they're like even with our reserves we can't power the planet and I like I like that nod and there's a there is a strong definitely a strong not very subtle but very strong environmental message to this film without a shadow of a doubt yeah um, they, I kind of like the space magic in in the last one this the, if you think about it too hard, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. I mean, everything runs on um, uh, matter and antimatter fusion reactors, and they don't have enough power to power the Earth. You know, don't think about it too much. It <laughs> and it moves on fast enough that you don't really have to. It's like this is the premise of the movie. Let's just have some fun with it. It's a, it's definitely a, a a lighter tone to it, and and all the better for it because the last two have been pretty dark really well, wrath of khan is yeah. wrath of khan is about as dark as you can get in it yeah. <laughs> so um well, well, yeah. it's not as dark as nemesis but we'll get to that yeah <laughs> no, that's fair that's fair so um yeah so kirk and the crew are on their way back to earth i said they realize what's going on they get broken up message um kirk is like we must destroy the probe immediately kirk's like we destroyed the probe i love this it's classic kirk response to anything just blow it up uh, Spock, this 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 was a bit of a stretch for me. Spock, within about thirty seconds, realizes that the probe is possibly not there to communicate with humans from Earth, and about thirty seconds later, works out that it's actually there to communicate with whales. Um, so Spock, being the genius that he is, definitely shows his genius points here without without a shadow of a doubt. Um, yeah, maybe 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 that's maybe that's in part because he's just been learning, like he's just spent the last six months or however long they've been on Vulcan re-educating himself i mean it, it does show at the beginning of the film he's working with those three computers at the three at the time and um he's still very logical because he, he hasn't really sort of regained his humanity at the moment and this is very much a, a film about spock regaining his humanity and becoming part of the crew again um, yeah it's a very different spock that we have here so i, I always thought that uh, it was yeah it's one of those things don't think too hard about it but again <laughs> Just because he's been learning about everything, he is half human, he is half Vulcan, maybe just it's all fresh in his head at that moment. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd give you that. To be fair, yeah. I'll, I'll, conc I'll concede my criticism at that point to that um, to that almost. You know what? You've almost delivered pure logic there. I think so. Uh, well done. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> no so um, they realise. So the crew realise what's happened, um, and suddenly they and again they come up. With, I mean, the speed at which they come up with plans, I think, is great here. They suddenly decide that right, what they need to do is. The probe needs to, needs a whale to communicate back. Humpback whales have been hunted to extinction by humanity, um, and they need to go and find a whale. So they concoct a scheme. Um, Kirk basically orders uh, Scotty to uh, prepare for time warp, um, <laughs> which is great because Scotty's res Scotty's response is kind of the audience's response here. There's an incredulous nature to his plan. He's like, "That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy." And Kirk's like. So what we'll do, Kirk kind of goes, what we'll do, we'll go back in time, we're going to take a whale, I'm going to put it in a massive tank in this hold of this Klingon, Klingon warship, and then we're going to jump back through time, release the whales, everything's fine. And at this point, Scotty's response is, that's crazy. Yeah. The audience response is, that's crazy. Yeah. And I'd love to have gone into this film not knowing that this was the plan, because this is where the film the film takes a very much an about turn here that I, I agree with you, I think is very, very welcome. But I, I, st I still remember the first time I watched this as a kid just going... They're gonna go. They're gonna do what now? <laughs> <laughs> it is crazy, and, you, and it is a risk. It is crazy because what if the whales came back and went, "Yeah, they exterminated us all. Fuck them." <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I always, uh, yeah, I, I, that was always a thought in my head. Was like, well, wait a minute, they may not be friendly. They may have to like negotiate with the whales. Like, there they could be more to this than than we, than we realize. But of course, you know. Uh, Again, don't think too much about it. <laughs> yeah, don't think too much about it. <laughs> so, uh, and again, in the, the habit of not thinking too much about things, they slingshot around the sun and travel backwards quite a long time um, to um, to, to the late 1980s, um, a period that I think Kirk describes as all, uh, barbarous, I think might be the word, primitive, primitive <laughs> and a barbarous society, which, you, you know... It's as you say. It, it goes leads into what you say about the the first communist the first communist space film. Again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, full of colourful metaphors and 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 harsh language. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so they bounce back. They bounce back in time. They land in nineteen uh, eighty San Francisco. Um, after, and I mean, it is convenient here that they have a Klingon ship that's able to cloak. Otherwise, the story would go absolutely no further. Yeah, and um, they've clearly if... done some work on the cloaking device as well, because <laughs> in the last movie, they sort they figured out the cloaking device because it was like a wavy distortion in in space. And now, the thing's totally invisible. So again, like, don't think too hard about it. Um, <laughs> Interestingly, with the with the time travel aspect, those the, the effects of the of of the faces morphing, which I always thought were really amazing at the time, and just like mm. done with uh, mask and clay animation, were another example of early um, CG animation where they scanned the actors' faces and put them in the computer and. Uh, Oh, okay, because that was an ILM scene, wasn't it, I think, yeah, when, when they do yeah. travel back in time. It's a yeah. pretty crazy scene, to be honest. It's very <laughs> trippy, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Which I think kind of keeps keeps in feeling with some of the trippy special effects. You definitely see in, in the motion picture, for sure. So, um, yes, yeah, trippy moments to travel back in time. Um, yeah, they, they land in San Francisco. Um, the ship is broken, however. Um, the dilithium crystals have, exa have exhausted themselves due to time travel, and according to Scotty, according to Scotty, it's impossible to fix them in the twenty third century. But no, I'm sorry, I'm gonna, I've got to say something here. I'm not buying Spock's genius all the way through this film. But then within, <laughs> within again, 
20 to 30 seconds of time possibly less spock has an answer <laughs> yeah nuclear fusion um nuclear fusion is the answer uh to the uh problem with the klingon ship um and what they all they need to do is find a nuclear reactor uh which comes back into it later which is a great which is great when they, yeah. where they find the nuclear reactor but we'll get to that all they need to do at this point is find a nuclear reactor harness the positive protons so the new which aren't radioactive or aren't toxic bring the positive protons back and recharge the dilithium crystals bang sorted <laughs> yeah yeah just hand wavy stuff isn't it it's not the most elegant bit of uh, star trek writing quite frankly but um no yeah and they sort of had that that terminator what what the what the hell moment like when the when the ship actually lands maybe it's the same truck driver maybe you like moved from um 1980 what's it 1986 um oh it's about the same time as well maybe it's the, the same it's the same guy from terminator maybe you know like <laughs> at the beginning great, of the dump what the hell what the what the it's, it's the same thing it just lands in the middle of central does no one jog in the 80s i remember eight this is jogging being a big thing yeah, the, and the amount yeah. of time, and I, I think I, I've spotted this a couple of occasions where there's no one, there's no one ever, there's a scene later in the film which we'll get to where there's literally in the daytime in Golden Gate Park in San Francisco, there's no one else in the park, and the park remains eerily empty <laughs> for the entire film, which is probably a, a coincidence too far, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and no one sees anything strange and w weird. Well, no, there, there's that one lady with the dog, but that's 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 later on. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's um, it's the effects are really beautiful. I don't know what the budget for this one actually was. Um, I'm imagine he he probably got a little bit more money than he had for the, for, for the last one. I think um, so. Yeah, I know. I know, that, I know. I know. This did well. It did 133 million worldwide, so it did pretty well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, production budget. I don't know. In all honesty. And they and both the stars got a lot of money, didn't they? So they got um, just look at uh, two and a half million each dollars. And it's 1980. Now let's start again. Nimoy and Shatner each received $2.5 million in 1986 money for their roles. So uh, Paramount were quite happy. Um, yeah. <laughs> and incidentally, this was the film that uh, spurred Star Trek Next Generation. So the okay, success of this one that. and the rising salaries of the of, of, of the whole cast, I guess, because I, I guess the, the the less I don't want to call them lesser, but the other cast members were probably getting paid more as well. So um, they decided to create a new television series called uh, Star Trek: Next Generation, which came out what the year after this. So it's, um, okay, yeah, a lot of good things came off of this actually. No, it's good. It's good. I think this is this is the moment for me where the film kind of starts to find its feet and really and really develops a, a sense of heart. And as you mentioned on the outset, like. I think that the you know the this the big strength of this for me is is a the fact it was willing to make that bold jump and take the Star Trek crew to the 1980s. Um, I don't think anyone saw it coming. I think it was it was a bold move, and I think this this is where the film kind of finds its heart as as more of a comedy. It's certainly at this this point is where it certainly starts to play for comedy. There's a moment where uh, Kirk is insistent that the crew blend in um, and says to Spock they won't have seen extra extraterrestrials. Spot then rips a bit off of his of his robe thing that he's wearing, wraps it around his ears, and that's it. Um, and that's now there. That's now his disguise. Um, and then they kind of they kind of they leave the ship um, and kind of put their plan in place. Where um, this they kind of they split up the the crew here. And this is probably my slight criticism, as I don't think you get to spend 
enough time with as much of the crew as I would like. So there's kind of Kirk and Spock split off to try and find um, the whales. Um, you've got um, Sulu, Chekhov, uh, Sulu and Sulu, uh, no, sorry, Sulu goes off to find a helicopter or some kind of flight description thing so he can um, deliver the massive tank that they need making to house the whales. Um, Scotty and Bones are great together here. Scotty and Bones go off to try and find what material they can to find to make this huge water tank that's got to contain the whales in the tank with 20th century technology. Mm -hmm. And then Chekhov and Uhura go to find the nuclear particles. So they kind of, they do they split up the crew here at this point. Um, and I, I think the best way to describe it is kind of in certain scenes, then kind of comedic hijinks ensue. Would you would you agree with would you agree yeah, with that assumption? It, 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 it starts from when they get off the. Uh, get off the bird of prey in the first place. You know, everyone remember where we parked. And the jokes, the jokes keep coming when they. Um, okay, you know your missions. Go off. We'll meet back at the designated time. Separate. You look like a cadet review, and everyone's yeah. got to stand around in their weird uniforms. And you know, the um, uh, there's that little bit with Chekhov and Uhura asking people where there's a nuclear vessel. And, and Chekhov obviously goes up to the policeman on the bike. I believe a lot of that was um, shot for real on the streets where they would just go up to random people. And then um, how much of it ended up in the film, I don't know. Um, but it definitely has that sort of feel to it. I think it, it, it's very cool. But I think the, the, the best stuff is by when they actually get to um, Sausalito um, Aquarium, where, yeah. the, where they get to the... the get to the whales and uh, yeah. um, for my money that's really for me that's where it really starts kicking off for me i think it's that's a great little scene there yeah i think that that seems fantastic and i think it's it's probably the first time i think i've really seen leonard nimoy have fun with the role of spock in this like yeah. he, he, it appears to be relishing the relishing the um the fish out of water i'm going to keep using the term fish out of water and i make <laughs> no apologies for it um, but he seems to he does seem to relish sort of having fun with the character um, and the kind of the, the, the backwards and forwards between him and Kirk I think here is great where Kirk's trying to remind him of, of, his, of his humanity because Spock keeps calling him Admiral and Kirk's insistently calls him Jim um, and those kinds of things are great and Kirk is trying to uh, Kirk is, is trying to kind of educate him in the ways of 1980s um, 1980s America um, with I mean some of the jokes I mean Kirk here, I think there's, there's moments in this film where you can see Shatner's just relishing dad jokes. Um, <laughs> like, uh, what does he call him? He calls him. Um, it was a double. I can't remember. Double exactly. dumbass. Double dumbass. That was it. Yeah. yeah, he gets called a dumbass. <laughs> Kirk gets confused, holds up traffic, gets called a dumbass. Kirk calls someone a double dumbass, um, and then he kind of yeah, he talks to talks to Spock about how everyone swears and this is how you talk to people so then Spock is then just horrible to everyone that he meets um, <laughs> and this is where they meet um, who I've who, the, the character who I've described in my notes as whale lady but is in fact a character <laughs> called um, Dr. Gillian Taylor um, who is played by um, she is played here by Catherine Hicks mm -hmm. um, and she is she's essentially the, the whale expert at the aquarium and knows everything about the whales is trying, is trying to keep these whales from um, well, it's essentially looking after these whales that are two whales called George and Gracie, who, uh, uh, when they were younger, kind of swam into the swam into waters they shouldn't be in, and are now looked after. Um, and she is responsible for their care. So um, she's given a tour of the aquarium. Um, Kirk and Spock 
to Kirkland Spot, get onto this tour of the aquarium, um, and immediately start asking the most obvious questions possible that maybe they're <laughs> up to something. <laughs> yeah. Um, subtlety yeah. is not this crew's strong point, I think it would be fair to say. <laughs> um, yeah, this whole script was written by uh, Nicholas Meyer, wasn't it? So, and, um, and the intention was to have uh, Eddie Murphy in the uh, I think there's uh, astrophysicist or the whale lady. I can't remember which way around, but um, it is. Yeah, yeah. You can you can you can sort of feel that that, that maybe the humour would have worked better if 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 you had someone like Eddie Murphy in there. To why he turned down a role, I don't know. Maybe it's probably a peak Eddie Murphiness where it was deemed below. Oh, or Golden Child probably came out about the same time as well. So it's probably somewhere around that time as well. But I love the scene where he's talking to her about the whales and like, well, I can help the whales. I can give them a good place to, you know, look after whales, et cetera, et cetera. And in the background, Leonard Nimoy swimming with the whale <laughs> and, and performing a mind mail. Well, and, and Kirk's just slapping, literally slapping his forehead until that old lady goes, maybe she's talking to the, that man. It's a great little scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a great scene. Um, and again, yeah, that's the thing. Right? It, 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 you know, it's not a shame to play for comedy. There's a gag here as well that I wanted to bring up that happens just before this, before we carry on. I've made a note that I wanted to, to bring up. Just before this scene, they go and look, they realise this is the moment where they, and I wanted to get back to this because you mentioned it earlier. Um, just before this scene, this is where they allude to the fact that in the 23rd century, they don't actually use money. So Kirk tells them, Kirk goes to find some money. He sells a pair of glasses to a pawn shop that is a present to him from Bones. Yeah. And then there's a brilliant gag where, because Spock just goes, weren't they a birthday present? And Kirk just goes, and they will be again. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. That's Which true. is great. That's so, it's mentioned. I've forgotten that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, let's, let's talk a bit about the, the kind of no money in the Federation thing. It was this, this is kind of the first time this, this comes up, did, did you say? Or? Yeah, so this was the first time it's actually mentioned. It was just really played more as more as a gag. I don't believe that it was actually part of the 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 whole premise, but it's kind of they it's like a hook that they they're pitching their tent on now, really, to mix my mm. metaphors. Um, really, just leading up to the great gag where later later on they they have a meal. Gillian uh, and Kirk are having a meal where he's trying to persuade her to take on the. Um, to give him the transponders wasn't it give him the transponder frequency so he can take the um take the whale somewhere safe but he can't answer because he's from the future and he doesn't want to contaminate the timelines all that sort of thing that would have been over explained but he's like look i got to, i can't i can't tell you and eventually he's like okay i'm from the future so, so you're from outer space no i'm from i'm from ohio only working out of space um but there's that little bit at the end when they walk away and she says, oh, I suppose you don't have money in the future. And he's like, yeah, no, 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 we don't. So I don't know where, I think that was the joke that was written and everything's kind of been worked backwards from there uh, to fit in. Um, but yeah, the, the sort of the, the timey-wimey time loop stuff's very good in here as well. Like, like you say, like there's, a, there's an echo of the whole, um, well, there'll be a present again sort of thing when they go and visit the guy at the um, aluminium smelter manufacturing. Well, yeah, yeah, the aluminium smelter manufacturing thing, that's another thing yeah. I wanted to talk to you about because and you may know this better than me. So you've got, so basically just before we get to that, because we've got, uh, but just before we get to where they, they're kind of, when they go and where Bones and Scotty try and find the uh, material to make the tank and get to this kind of aluminium bit, we've got um, the moment where um, Chekhov 
and Uhura discover where the where the nuclear material is, and this bit was great. <laughs> and it's on the USS Enterprise, but the original USS Enterprise air, naval aircraft carrier, which I thought was a nice touch. So you might think you're not going to get any Enterprise in this film, and you do. Um, and I thought that was a I thought that was a nice touch. I thought it was a cool nod, um, and I thought it, it worked really really well. It could have felt cheap. I don't think it did. I think it was quite a nice it was quite a nice moment to bring the Enterprise into it um, in some capacity. Um, did you like it? Did you think it was clumsy? What did you think? No, it's a, it's it's a very it's a nice little nod, as you say. I never actually really thought about it until you literally just said it. But yeah, there is an Enterprise in every single Star Trek film. So yeah, like it does actually make an appearance. It's not the you know it's a Enterprise. It's not the Enterprise. Um, and again, that's that scene is really it's fun. It's exciting. It, 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 I always thought it was a bit weird. It's like surely they'll go to a nuclear power station, which would be easier to infiltrate than a naval base. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely yeah you know it's not as dramatic and it's not as exciting um the one thing that i've always thought especially with that scene i always felt like the music in this is always for me a bit of a letdown i think it's a bit too whimsical it doesn't feel like a star trek i mean it's it you know it's competently written it's fantastic but i always felt especially when they go to the nuclear vessel vessel i'm saying vessel now <laughs> i can't not say uh it just felt a little bit too light for me, like it, especially after the last three great soundtracks. Yeah, this is it's always been a bit weak, and it, and for a moment it really, really shows up um, on the Enterprise and also at the hospital. The two bits that I've always that felt like get, really get too jarring. Yeah, the hos the hospital bit will get to, but um, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Kind of like almost it becomes not almost too light in tone in places because you know, i think i think that might be might be one of the slight criticisms you could level at the film is they've got like a very weighty story uh, to start with like the fate of the fate of the earth is in the balance and then it's almost like that if, if that music started playing i wouldn't be surprised That's exactly how it sounds full um. exactly how it sounds like like shit circus music yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, but the the enterprise is cool. Like I agree with you, the music lacks a bit of weight, um, and like it, it's possible kind of plays it a little bit too light. It's a cool nod. Um, then we have um, there, and they they turns out that they're planning to get around security because I, I kind of thought the same as you, and I was just like this the these this must be the laxest security of a um, of a nuclear of nuclear material ever. But they they have the ability to beam in and out, so they make a plan that they're going to beam into the ship. So. I'll give them that, I guess, because they can beam in and out of anywhere they like. So I'll give them that. Um, this is this is where it gets to. Um, this is the kind of the other bit that I wanted to talk about. So you you talked about when they go for dinner. So um, yeah, Kirk, Kirk invites the ladies to dinner. They go for dinner at the same time. The kind of running in parallel to this is Scotty and Bones uh, go to a plexiglass manufacturing company because they're trying to get a tank made that can hold this much water in the whales. They realise that it would have to be six inches thick. Um, Scotty then goes, well, that's ridiculous. I can give you, and basically gives them the formula for transparent, transparent aluminium. And it is aluminium, not aluminium. I'm going to go with aluminium <laughs> on this one. Uh, transparent aluminium. Now, this for me, and the dinner scene shortly afterwards, surely this is the prime directive a thing in the Star Trek narrative at this point. Because surely this is in breach of the prime directive. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, do they have a, a temporal prime directive? They should. Like Kirk, at this point, I don't think Kirk gives a shit now. Like he's like stolen the starship, sod it. Like the old Kirk is gone, and I think that's where a lot of people, 
get their Kirk from is this film and the last mm. film. Kirk always breaking the rules, not paying any attention. Whereas in the series, he's always actually been quite stoic and very, you know, there's moments, but he's 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 up until this moment been a really good captain. He doesn't give a damn anymore <laughs> about polluting the timelines or anything like that. It doesn't really matter. Um, um, yeah, it, it, strangely, the biggest issue that I have with the transparent aluminum scene is the computer scene, which is hilarious, but makes no sense. <laughs> because I don't know about you, but I can't use a DOS machine or an old Spectrum from like 20, 30 years ago. Like I can't, was it run or load to start a program? I can't yeah. remember. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember that far back. In the future, they got computers that they just talk to, and that everything gets typed up for you. And the, you know, there's lots of amazing technology and everything. But they still type on a QWERTY keyboard. After 300 years, they didn't change the QWERTY keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> or Scotty knows how to use an old Apple Mac. I mean, I mean, um, it gives them the excuse to have Scotty trying to talk to a mouse, which is quite entertaining. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> again, don't think too hard about it. I've obviously thought way too hard about it um, <laughs> actually one thing if you don't mind just jumping back that I totally no, forgot no about that I wanted to get in that I always miss my favourite scene in all of this um, and it might be just because I was getting into punk at that time was the punk on the bus Spock and um, Kirk trying to have a conversation and Kirk's like do you mind turning that down and he's playing that music um, which I've always thought is actually a really good tune and uh, Spock leans over and and um, gives gives him a Falcon nerve pinch and sends him to sleep. And his head whacks on the boombox and actually just shuts that music off. Um, I love that scene. For me, that's my like that. I could play that scene over and over and over again. <laughs> um, sorry, I wanted to bounce back to that because I just love that. But yeah, the whole. As we were saying before, the whole transparent aluminum thing is like, how do we know he didn't invent it in the first place? And weirdly enough, transparent aluminum is a thing that recently, in the last couple of years, scientists have been working on. It's apparently a thing that is put wow, and okay. inspired by this movie. Someone went, hmm, I wonder, could we do transparent aluminum? 30 years later, apparently, apparently they have. It's not at a stage where you can actually um, use it for anything practical. It's kind no. of like sh sheets of uh, nanotubes and stuff, but it's like, it's very early stages. So um, interesting That's how cool. Star Trek again influences yeah. Yeah, technology. Yeah, Star Trek, yeah, I mean, that you could do, we could do a whole series on influences of Star Trek on current technology. Yeah. Maybe we will. Um, yeah, no, I didn't know that. I didn't know that it was actually, I didn't know that actually made it a thing, especially based on this. That's absolutely, that's bonkers, but great. Um, so yeah, so we've got those those moments, prime directive moment. Yeah, the more I, as much as when I kind of when I was watching it earlier, I was just like, but this goes against it. And then I thought, well, actually, the world is at stake, so they might be willing to breach the prime directive, and they might be willing to go against uh, to go against what's what's going on. Um, then you have the so it, it jumps from there to the dinner scene that we were talking about, where um, Kurt goes for dinner um, and basically tells her exactly what's happened, and she seems. <laughs> She seems pretty okay with it, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, she handles it pretty well. But I like the fact that, yeah, she doesn't, she doesn't actually quite believe him. She just sort of humours him. I think that's, that's the way that that scene really goes. Yeah. It's, um, but it's, 
I think it it plays out very believable, and the relation and the relationship between the two of them. Um, there was some talk of bringing Chilean back um, in later films. We'll talk about that in the later films. Unfortunately, she she couldn't make it back to, um, for various different reasons. There's a lot of sort of callbacks that, that could have started from here. She's a good character. I would have liked to have seen more yeah. go on with her. Because you know, spoilers. She sort of dropped from this whole series. Just uh, yeah, which, which is odd to be honest. So not a complete romance though. That's quite interesting. It's like they're still very professional like any other maybe a modern film they would have them snogging or having a bed scene or something this is just they've both you know they're attracted to each other but they don't really do anything about it it was just kind of which is nice and age appropriate yes <laughs> very true yeah. very true <laughs> age appropriate i could believe yeah. that i mean he is much older than her but it's not a huge no they don't look a dramatically different yeah. age which is good so yeah, we do again. I, know, I do like the fact that they never go because you kind of you, because it, especially because it's Kirk, especially because it's, Shat, it's Shatner and it's Kirk, and you think okay, he's, he's definitely going to woo, try and woo her. I'm sending like a seventy year old man there, uh, but you know <laughs> you, you do you do think it may go that direction. And as I said, I like the, there's chemistry between the two of them, but it, it never goes in that direction, and that is one of the film's strengths, I think for sure. Yeah. Um, um, and uh, yeah, I really like the way it goes. Um, so after dinner, um, after dinner, um, after dinner, you have um, Chekhov and uh, Chekhov and Uhura are, are now have now beamed onto the USS Enterprise, um, or a USS Enterprise, not the USS Enterprise for the for the nature of Star Trek, um, and they are attempting to I guess steal or obtain the um, the fo the positive photon particles from the <laughs> nuclear reactor. There you go. I said it with a straight face. Yeah. Um, uh, using using the Ghostbusters. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you notice that? Um, and yeah, uh, yeah. And then just not, and also not getting discovered by the most lackluster security team that must exist in the U.S. military. Um, <laughs> while stealing it, they do eventually get discovered because someone detects an anomaly. I wasn't quite clear on what happens here. Someone in an off, someone in the control room detects an anomaly, and they realise they have intruders. So they beam out Uhura with the particles. And Chekhov, uh, Chekhov gets caught at this point. Um, and imagine a Russian getting caught with trying to steal nuclear information <laughs> on a USS warship. It's quite entertaining, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so Chekhov gets caught, uh, and in the meantime, this is this is the moment where I noticed that there was a strangely empty park. So Chekhov is caught. We cut away. We cut away to Sulu flying. Sulu gets very little to do in this film, which I think is a bit disappointing. There's, yeah. there's very little Sulu in this. Um, he's flying a helicopter at this point, carrying this big um, transparent aluminium shield. This, uh, this oh, is we, making we, the sound sound mad. Are we at that point um, No, we're oh, not yeah, quite you, there, actually. Yeah, no, we're not the quite interrogation there. Jumped, scene, let's not miss that. Jumped, I think that's great. I've jumped ahead of the interrogation. Yeah. Well, do you pick up on the interrogation scene? Then um, go for it. So, as you say, he's a Russian caught on... Uh, on a US boat being interrogated by we can only assume a secret service um, again this is a great Koenig's great is like he would go on to great things I think in, Bab in Babylon 5 he's particularly really really good in um, and it's nice to see him get <laughs> mangle the English language and then <laughs> try to shoot the um, or, or phase or stun isn't it stun the the officer yeah. what was that a ray gun well, yeah yeah it's it's, it's uh, yeah again it's just and it's it's believable as well like you could you totally believe it's like one of the guys say well it's obvious he's a russian he's like yeah but he's a nut job 
he's, he's <laughs> yeah obviously he's a russian um and yeah i don't know i mean you like this scene i mean it's beautiful I, shot I, as well I, yeah i enjoyed this scene i think the whole film is beautifully shot actually like we haven't really talked much about that but the whole film i think looks fantastic mm. um like the effects work on the whales is incredible. Um, like this, the, the exterior shots of the of the aircraft carrier are fantastic. The animatronics on the whales is, is brilliant. I didn't realize that ILM built. I think the the crew built them. A lot of them is animatronics yeah. rather than real whales. I mean the the problem with that is it's obvious when there is stock footage, but there's there's not much of it to be fair considering the amount of effects work here. But yeah, um, and I yeah I did I did enjoy this scene. And he said um, yeah he's having a great time. He's ha he's having a great time in this role. And I think it. As much as it, as much as you know, the music kind of makes it feel a bit lighter than it should, and and maybe there, I don't know. There's there's times possibly when when Chekhov's like capture does feel like it might be dragging the film out a touch. Is it does it really need to happen? I don't know. Um, but I think mm. I still think that the individual scenes are great, um, and I think he plays it very very well. So I'd agree with that. It's definitely it's definitely an entertaining scene, um, and then he escapes. Um, manages to run away from a number of guards and very nearly gets off the boat, uh, but unfortunately uh, fails at the first hur last hurdle. Uh, falls off the side <laughs> of a boat. <laughs> just falls off the, runs off the side of a boat essentially. Yeah, lands that, in a life raft. Quite painful, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then is is, is recaptured. Um, then we cut away. Sorry to. Um, then we cut away to. Uh, and we cut back to uh, Gillian, the doctor, um, is looking after whales. She then discovers the whales have been taken from her in the night, and they're going to be released because essentially can't afford to keep them anymore. Can going to be released say, somewhere that in Alaska. Is a beautiful matte painting. Like when when the whales have gone, and yes. um, they're drained out. Even to this day, I mean, I'm, I'm literally looking at a steel of it right now. It's just, it's beautiful, and I think that's just optically printed, and it's. It's gorgeous, like as you said before, the, the work in this is gorgeous. Nice being out of out of a, out of the studio after the last film, but it is so well put together. This film, it's a gorgeous looking film. Yeah, it does. It looks fantastic. It, you know, even even as you say, little things like that, like the, the things that you wouldn't normally think would would kind of catch your eye, absolutely catch your eye here, mm -hmm. and especially I think with when the fact that they've gone from epic space battles and things that would, would grab you. I mean, that you've got that, you've got the epic space scenes in the beginning and the closing scenes, but to kind of make more, certainly down to earth stuff, sort of present day settings, present day set stuff look this good, I think is great. I think it was Oscar nominated for um, some of its cinematography is my understanding of it, which mm. is which is great. Um, so no, it is, it is a really good looking film throughout. And I agree with you, that scene is definitely one of the standouts. And I think the, yeah, it's just a, a great looking film throughout. Um, so yeah, she discovered the, the the whales are gone. Um, she then runs off to find. She runs off to find Kirk. While she's find, try, find, trying to find Kirk in the park, uh, Sulu arrives in his helicopter. Sulu's got something to do. Everyone, hooray! Yeah. Uh, Sulu, Sulu arrives with his helicopter with the um, with the um, transparent aluminium. I can't even say it. <laughs> struggle with a straight face. Transparent aluminium um, uh, tank to store the whales. Um, they really unsubtly decide to lower them down by helicopter in the middle of a park in the day where they, again there is no people in this park not a soul in what well, well, i am i mean i've never been to yeah. san francisco i can't imagine golden gate park is quiet at any time of the day apart from maybe in the absolute dead of night maybe this was before <laughs> the, the the homeless like that maybe this is people weren't actually sleeping i would imagine there'd be a lot of people sleeping in that park as well yeah yeah um yeah it's <laughs> one thing I wanted to mention was Sulu in the helicopter. It's a great little scene. But if you play that back, 
you can actually see the fingers of the guy moving the win the wipers. It's still in there, actually moving the wipers back and forward. It's just that's a neat little thing that they've left in there. I love stuff like that. It's <laughs> I didn't it spot that actually. Funnier. I'll be honest. We're gonna have we to see face. It's just watch. like we're not going to use that take, are we? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so much in frame they couldn't even crop it out. It's just it's beautiful. <laughs> Movie so, magic. Yeah, no, the bits like that are great. I didn't even notice that. Um, so I'm going to I'm gonna have to re- we'll have to watch it again now. Straight after this, I'm going to go and watch Star Trek Four again, which wouldn't be too much of a hardship, to be honest. So, um, as, you know, I've watched worse films. Um, so uh, Alice is then um, Alice is then desperate to speak to Kirk because the whales have been taken. This is where I think Alice is kind of a bit too calm about what's going on. Um, Kirk comes to speak to her to try and calm her down, says that it is all true. You can't come with me. Kirk gets beamed up to the ship. She jumps in to give Kirk a hug, and then gets beamed onto the um, onto the bird of prey along with Kirk. And then I think is possibly a little bit too okay with what's going down. Would you Would you agree, or do you think she's? Well, I think when you see a helicopter lowering the panel into what just disappearing, or it's being lowered into the bird of prey, but because it's cloaked, it's, it's disappearing. So. Okay, maybe they're telling the truth. Like I can see it with my own eyes. Yeah, that's true. I can see that with my own eyes. It's like I, I, I'll give that. I'll give it to her. That's fine. It's weird <laughs> that she ended up in the park in the first place. That's the weird part always for me. And uh, and again, it's, you know, don't think about it too hard. But they have helicopters in the future. Is it like a hobby of Sulu to fly helicopters? Are they even <laughs> a thing? Are, are they not like little quadcopters or jets or something? Space magic levitation devices. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's a stretch, but but Sulu had something to do, so that's yeah. that's that's what we've got to focus on here. Sulu got some screen time, which was nice. Yeah. Um, we then cut to um, yeah, we then we then on board the ship. Um, Gillian tells Kirk where the whales are that they've gone to Alaska. They kind of panic. Um, this is one of this is one another one of the moments where Spock's humanity comes back into back into the fore really here because they're kind of discussing what to do. Do they go after the whales? They, that's sorry. In the meantime, they locate Chekhov. Chekhov's in hospital in a critical condition, and the crew the crew are in a quandary here. Do they go after the whales, which is what they know they should do? Um, and they obviously the, the, there's a race against time now. The whales are back into the wild. Do they go after the whales? get the mission done, go home and save the day, or do they go after Chekhov first and try and save Chekhov? And there's a great moment here where they're kind of, they're mulling it over, they're talking about what the logical decision is, and then the, I think Spock says the logical decision is to leave Chekhov and go after the whales, but he's, then he suggests that's not what he has to do because he has a heart, essentially. And yeah. I, I really like this moment, I think. This yeah. is kind of the, one of the moments, again, one of the great moments of um, Spock rediscovering that he's half human, I think. Yeah, it's great. This is a great scene as well. The hospital scene's really good. And this is... I've always wondered, actually... I, I was thinking about it with the other movie, but with this one as well. DeForest Kelly, I don't really remember him in much else. And yet he's such a no. great actor. He was great playing Spock in the last film. But he's also he's yeah. great in this. His comic timing is so spot on. And this is just obviously the perfect role when you meet... Sorry, do you, you go. I'm rushing ahead here. I'm rushing ahead. Yeah, so they, they go to the hospital to try and rescue Chekhov uh, and they disguise themselves as doctors very quickly, which is great. <laughs> so they disguise themselves as doctors, go in to try and rescue Chekhov. And this is where, as I said, DeForest Kelly and uh, the Bones character really comes into his own because he kind of, 
Well, these other doctors are talking about chemotherapy and he accuses them of being barbaric. He accuses <laughs> medicine of being medieval uh, or medieval even. And um, yeah, he kind of just takes apart everything that they're doing. And when they they find Chekhov and they to relieve the the pressure, I think he's he's got the, the pretty severe head trauma. And they're talking about relieving the pressure by drilling holes in his head. And kind of Bones is just like absolutely not. <laughs> like, it's just he's furious. Um, and then you have a bit of hijinks, I guess. It wasn't yeah. my favourite scene. I thought it was a bit probably too heavy on slapstick when when they kind of escape but but maybe it's the music i think now the more i think about it the more i think about it, it was the music calm in the scene so they so bones takes over heels check off in, in quick order with um a mag with space magic which is great because he's got this <laughs> tiny little device the doctors i quite like the doctor's response to what's going on because they kind of they kind of they, they accuse him they accuse bones of studying dentistry at one point which i think was great um, <laughs> so um the old lady yeah, they, in the corridors makes me laugh as well like when yeah, at the beginning yeah. of the scene he walks past and he said uh what she what she have like appendicitis she's or something dialysis yeah dialysis, dialysis. Yeah, yeah. take yeah. a couple of these and see me in the morning and <laughs> as they rush past her at the end towards the end of the scene she's all healed and the doctor's like i don't know what's going on she's oh that's the doctor over there <laughs> yeah, yeah. So again, it you know it brings a bit of humanity. It brings a humour, and I think you know the you know it shows that the cast are you know are certainly capable of doing comedy, mm -hmm. um, and 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 can be pretty funny. The music, yeah, as as you alluded to before, definitely. Um, in fact, here in my notes, it says slapstick music is a bit much. Weakest scene? Question mark. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. That's what I've done, but I don't think it's the scene. I think it's the music. I think I yeah. think you're absolutely right. I think the music kind of lays it on a bit heavy here. Um, yeah, so they get beamed. They get beamed. Beam back to safety. Sorry, this is the point where um, this is the point where um, Gillian gets bored, bored, uh, beamed onto the ship. It was before the hospital scene, not afterwards. So, apologies. I've got my okay. I've got my timeline mixed up a little bit there. Um, so they realise that she gives them the radio frequency to track the whales. Scotty has to. Scotty's kind of questioning about can he beam up whales and four hundred tons of water? Can he beam up two whales and four hundred tons of water? He's never done it before. Mm -hmm. Is it possible? Um, I'll give you a clue. They might achieve it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so they they take off. They fly uh, to Alaska to the Alaska sort of the sea, the open waters, not not too far off the coast of Alaska. Uh, you find some whales. Some incredible shots of the whales underwater again here. Like just looks yeah. abs absolutely fantastic. Um, just it really did look superb, and it, and it, yeah, it just blows my mind because I assumed a lot of this stuff was done using real whales, but from what I, you know, from what I've been reading about it, it really wasn't. And I think for, um, it might be that the stuff that is obviously stock footage, which comes on the closing moments, may be the only kind of real whales they used. In which case, well, the animatronics, so anima are, are animatronics weren't they? Radio controlled anima yeah. animatronic whales. Yeah. Still amazing, still amazing. Yeah, it just again everything now would have been done by CGI, and this looks more convincing than that because the, it, there's something there you can you know, they're filming something. Yeah, um, they, I, they were very careful of not having Japanese whalers, weren't they? They were Norwegian whalers. Yes. So yeah. So they. It's a they long fly way up. to go, though. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a long way to go. Yeah, yeah, it's I on the wrong side, point, isn't it? They're, they're, they're well out of their way yeah. of their depth. So there, so they, they essentially they find the whales. The whales are already being hunted by a whaling ship, um, and this is where they definitely breach the. If there's any breach of the Primer Directive that couldn't be any more obvious, is this one. Um, so they're about to the the whalers are about to kill the whales. They, they angle the bird of prey in between the whaling ship and the whales. There's that great scene where the harpoon just clanks off the hull of the um, bird of prey, <laughs> uh, and then they and then they just decloak this huge fucking warship. Uh, and the whalers and the whalers um, they turn and run, <laughs> like. as you would. It's a good idea. It really shows you the scale of the thing as well. I mean, 
a bird of prey is a very small ship relatively mm. speaking i mean it's tra its size changes and there's different versions of it blah 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 um but the this original one is it's quite a small s small ship but still in comparison to that whaling ship it's huge isn't it yeah yeah and again the sense of scale that i think we've talked about this when we talked about the the, the previous three films like the sense of scale that i think the model the models that the models have here is is fantastic mm -hmm. Um, and it, you know, it's it's one it's one thing that's consistent all the way through. I think this series is the sense of scale of some of these ships looks great. But yeah, I see what I see what you mean. I've not really thought of that. But yeah, to have it against what is already a large sort I say land based vehicle, a large current day ship for sake of argument, cur yeah. current day ship. I think gives you some indication of the the size of even some of the smaller spaceships in the Star Trek universe. And the sense of scale I think is is really effective here. Um, and as you say, you can fully understand why they would turn tail and run away from uh, from a bird of prey that just <laughs> appears out of nowhere in front of them. Um, which you know, it's a, it's a cool scene. It, it looks great. It does it does look really good. I really like this scene. Um, and then it's not outstanding. It's welcome either, is it? Because what we were like ninety minutes, ninety five hundred minutes. Well, let's have a look. Where are we? Yeah, ni ninety seven minutes into the film. I mean, it's zipping yeah. along at a lovely pace. The pace of it, I, I really, I really found this one. I said I, I watched it just before we just before we came on air because I ran out of time this week. Yeah, the pace is fantastic here. Like, it's it, it really does it really does zip along at pace. Yeah. Um, it never it never drags, you know. Um, and yeah, it, it's a really pacey film, and I think pace is pace is definitely one of the important things for a film to nail, especially if you're going to go towards the two hour mark and, and longer, which is, does just hit two yeah. hours, I think, if I remember rightly. It tells you everything um, that you need to know as well, like. It's so it's so precisely written. It's a really good script. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. Uh, they beam up the whales. Hooray! Uh, with the water in them. Hooray! Uh, everything everything seems to be okay. Um, the plan works. Um, they've got Gillian with them um, because she's. Uh, they've got Gillian with them now, and she's essentially now resigned to the fact she's going to the twenty third century because she will be the only person who knows anything about whales and they're obviously they're planning to repopulate whales so that actually works yeah i would have thought he would have asked her and said can you come because we don't know anything about whales there's only two of them like i don't understand what the argument would be now he's worried about the prime directive come on yeah yeah <laughs> yeah come on but no i think i think that 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 kind of that logic to bring her into the future i think works really well um, it, it could have been, it, yeah, she could have kind of hidden away or gone against the will. But I, I like the fact at this point she wants to go. She yeah. feels like she's got something to offer, and the, the you know Kirk rapidly realizes she would have something to offer. So yeah. I like that bit. I don't, don't really do. Um, there's some, there's some quote. They kind of Kirk and Gillian sit there quoting D. H. Lawrence to each other, and Kirk <laughs> makes, which is a touch heavy-handed. Uh, he then makes some heavy-handed observations about mankind by hunting these creatures to extinction. Mankind are killing their own future. Uh, again, he's not wrong. Uh, he is yeah. not wrong, but slightly on the heavy-handed side, I guess. But it, it works. It works for the scene. It's very much a thing Kirk would say. Um, but we're not out of the woods yet. Oh no! Can we just we're not stop out of the for a minute? And talk yeah, of course about we can. James Doohan in this film. Yeah, he's absolutely. The, he gets so to do so much in this film. I feel like it. It's him and McCoy get so so much to do, and there's a. I think he's great in this. Like his performance the jokes it's not slapstick like is in the next one um he often doesn't get a lot to do other than say i need two hours to fix this but i'll do it in one hour or whatever but, um, <laughs> it's um, true in this he's just he's one of the lichpins of it and i don't think it's recognized enough he's great when he turns up late, later in star trek generation that's one of the best 
next gen episodes when he turns up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sadly missed. Sadly missed. No, I, I completely agree with that, and I think this is as much as we, you know, we kind of said that Suli doesn't get enough screen time. I think it, it's great that some of the other characters do, and I think it, you know, one of the one of the key things that this film really delivers on, as, as I mentioned earlier, is the humanity of these characters and the kind of you get a better sense of the friendships between them. I think you get um, you get an even better sense of of how much Bones actually likes Spock, um, even though they don't they don't always see eye to eye. I really like that, and as you say, yeah, James Dewan gets actually a lot more a lot more to do here than he normally does. Um, he's definitely, he's definitely. I mean, he's a key figure in making all of this happen. I mean, yeah. Technically, he always is because the, yeah. the the amount of the amount of situations the Enterprise couldn't escape from if it wasn't for Scotty, uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> just pull, pulling it out of the bag at the last minute. Yeah, um, yeah. and he, rarely, I think he rarely, rarely gets the credit he deserves. <laughs> definitely, I'm I'm 100 with you. Uh, yeah, he's he's great in this as well. I think, yeah, and Michelle Nichols sort of gets short shrift in this film as well. A little bit, yeah, well, but I, I think so. Look, you've got what a two two hours to tell your movie, or um, you haven't got much time. Like, not everyone can get to do a bit of everything. That's what I like. They've chosen their battles. Like the new Star Trek films, I always feel, especially with the last one, as much as I I enjoyed it. Everyone has to do something. Like it's it feels like it's in their contract. They have to do something, even a horror. And you just think, Ugh, like okay i get it but it doesn't feel natural it just feels forced in here here mm. unfortunately some people get less to do than, than others but it all just feels like everything happens as crazy as it sounds like uh, uh, for a reason not just for film reasons it, it, it's a i've said this before but i think this is a really tight well-written script um uh, probably because it's one of the things i studied as well like if you read the sid, sid fields book this is one of the things he says to go off and read so i did and it is, okay. it's, it, it's a good script to read for like a Hollywood movie for any movie I think I think mm. um, just get in there and tell your story and then get the hell out so you can yeah I think I, yeah no and I think the um, I think that yeah and that, that you know contributes to the pacing as well right? it just never feels like it drags so no I'd agree I think the script is the script's great here and again there's just so much humanity to a film that essentially is about space still you know the, the amount of humanity on, on offer here compared to you know compared to most of the other films i think it, it's yeah it really uh, going back to what we said earlier i think it was a gamble to set this in the present day or the contemporary setting um and i think it really paid off i think it really it really adds adds weight to the crew's characters it, it establishes them probably better than the other films have done i think yeah de definitely very well and i well done so uh where are we next where are we up to next what we are not there? too far from the end unfortunately um so they make it they make it they make it with the whales off of earth um scotty then comes up with the bad news that they might not the, the will the ship hold itself together because this bird of prey is essentially a junk um <laughs> it's take it's, it's it's taken a pounding um it might look it might jillian might be blown away by the technology in it all but by 23rd century standards it's in a it's in a bad way um <laughs> Scotty expresses concerns that even if they can get the ship up, ship up to speed to uh, slingshot around the sun and time travel back to the 23rd century, they might not make it. Um, this film, this scene, I thought that slightly rushed here in an effort to kind of wrap things up because the ship slingshots around the sun and they make it. Yeah, yeah. Nice how <laughs> um, they come back almost identical 
or, or, or like at the day, like at the same time they leave. Like it's what we see yeah. is a replay of the of the of the far, of the moments of when they go and they lose contact. Like you get the great uh, Brock Peters playing Admiral Cartwright, who would later go on and play Cisco's dad. Um, play. Um, Obviously, just re repeating his lines, we get to see Mark Lennon here again playing Zarek, um, and we see the end of that scene when the when the windows explode. That's when we cut before, didn't we? The windows explode. Oh my God, we've lost yeah. them. Windows explode. Oh, there they are, and and this is when they come back to San Francisco. Was this the first time San Francisco was used as as the, as the Star Trek um, Academy? I don't know. Was I don't it know. Always maybe. San Francisco. Comment your comments in the comments, please. I would be interested to know that, actually. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know whether yeah. they've just said it here for that film, or whether that's been the, the thing the whole way through. Uh, they crash land. They, they, yeah, they reappear at the same, pretty much the same time they left. Um, the ship is a bit fucked. Uh, let's, let's be <laughs> honest here. Um, and the probe pa immediately powers them down because the probe. You can't fight the probe, as we've established earlier on in the film. So. The, the probe, the probe is still there. Um, attacking or attacking is probably the wrong word. I don't think it is. I don't think it's. It's what I, again the sense of mystery that this film sets up about the probe. I think is great, but we'll, we'll get to that before we end. So what it's um, been doing is scanning, hasn't it? It's been scanning, yeah. looking, or sending the message on a high-powered frequency that's burning up the the oceans and the waters, um, and and destroying the planet. Um, again, another one of those sort of advanced species that's not advanced enough enough to realize that it's destroying the planet and it's you know evaporating all the water but that's where all you guys are supposed to be it, yeah yeah don't think too hard yeah i think that's fair i think that's fair uh they crash land in the water um they attempt to release the whales but oh no the doors have jammed. The manual, <laughs> the, the automatic release on the doors have jammed. This is the bit that Shatner obviously wanted into the script. Yeah. Um, Kirk then dives into the water, manually releases the uh, manually releases the um, access hatch or doors or whatever you want as cargo cargo bay doors. Um, they release the whales. Hooray! Um, cut to um, moments of frivolity when the the crew are sitting on the deck and some obvious stock footage of whales frolicking in the ocean. Um, actually, it's not, it doesn't happen quite that quickly. But the whales, there is a bit of a there's a bit of a time lag where you think, are oh, the whales going to communicate with the probe? The whales then communicate with the probe. The probe packs up and fucks off as quickly as it arrived, which I thought was great. I do really like that. I, re I do really like the fact the probe kind of just packs up and disappears. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, and then they've saved the day. We cut. To, I do want to talk a bit more about the probe after we finish here. But they cut to. They, they've saved the day. They cut back to Kirk's trial. Kirk and the crew's trial because they've now returned to Earth. I like the fact this isn't completely brushed under the carpet. I like the fact they are. They do kind of return to the opening of the film here, um, where the crew were on trial for a number of charges: destroying a ship, reckless yeah. endangerment of, of Federation property, destroying the Enterprise. The, the list, the charge sheet, as I've mentioned earlier in the earlier in the show, is it, is, is as long as your arm. Um, they go, but there's mitigating circumstances. The rest of the crew will get off scot-free, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> and um, but Kirk will face Kirk will face punishment punishment for his crimes. Kirk's punishment is that he is to be demoted from admiral back to captain. At which point he looks pretty happy with this because, as we know from the previous films, he's not been overjoyed at being an admiral anyway. Uh, and he will get his own ship to control. Um, which again, you know, not really a punishment, I don't think, for Kirk. Which I think is kind of the point. Which I think is kind of the point of this scene, to be honest. Like, well, the Federation need to be seen to be doing something in the eyes of the Klingons, um, but at the same time, they kind of want him to have his ship back. Um, we 
we as the film closes kirk and the crew are kind of debating which ship they will get they don't know they're is it going to be a cargo hauler what are they going to be doing are they good what ship are they going to get is it going to be like a new ship which ship it's going to be it's the enterprise <laughs> which is great to be honest the, the moment when they go and see the enterprise they're overjoyed um and the film ends with them taking off back into space back on board the enterprise uh which wraps up again i think wraps up the story arc of would you describe these would you describe star trek 2 to 4 as a trilogy do you think yeah i, I, yeah. Would, I would say so like they definitely have a, a a through through line don't they and it's it, it's nice you could you could watch them as a complete through line i think you could even watch I, you could even watch one to four and be quite satisfied with it quite frankly because one like two Kirk is still dealing with like being an older person and he's only you know he's still wrestling with command so on and so forth uh, and he kind of gets just starts getting used to that and then his mate dies and then he's got to look for his friend and his friend doesn't really know him and this is the film like they're finally together so it's uh it's fortuitous, really, just leaving that little strand dangling at the end of Star Trek Three because Nimoy didn't really want to come back and do Star Trek, and mm. but had so much fun doing it that he was like, "Well, maybe I do." <laughs> and um, thanks to space magic, he 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 made it back. No, Star Trek Two <laughs> wasn't it? Star Trek Two was the one yeah. that he was having yeah. fun. That he wanted to come back on. So um, yeah, really good. I, I th there's a really nice scene that we sort of skipped a little bit that I've always liked as well between Spock and Sarek and it's the first time they've had a really tense relationship and there's a really nice moment where Sarek basically says you know what you've got some good friends there I understand the decision that you made you were right I was wrong you know and there's few little lines even though they both don't have emotions that and Sarek's last line in uh, Star Trek Three, where he says his logic is unclear when it comes to his son. It's a, it's a nice father-son arc going on between uh, Spock and um, Sarek, which would then continue um, into Next Generation. Um, yeah, it, 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 yeah, it's nice. I think that's where I, where I get a little bit emotional with these Star Trek films sometimes getting a little bit older as well i don't know if it's just uh the nostalgia goggles kicking in or or what but um no i think i think it's there's so much um we spoke about this right at the beginning there's so much this dystopic you know like everything's going to be apocalyptic and dark and dingy and everything and it's one of the few bright lights in science fiction that's still with us arguably maybe not with the new series but um, um. <laughs> I mean that's what's beautiful about Star Trek is that it is basically hopeful uh, even yeah. Star Wars like watching the, the, the latest um, uh, Mandalorian the first two episodes I was like oh yeah it's quite a harsh universe really it's a very it's it's almost dy a dystopia it's not perfect they haven't figured it figured out their shit yeah whereas in star trek is like well yeah we've got over a lot of the base stuff we've still got a lot of stuff to you know we're not there yet but it's a lot more hopeful this is what could happen mm. in the future if we started working together I think, yeah yeah no I, I, I really agree with that the message the message is definitely hopeful in this i just want to go back to the, the probe just before we yeah. before we wrap up um 
I kind of want to see where it came from. I kind of, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. One, one of the strengths, I think, of the one, it's, it's weird. I'm, I'm essentially contradicting myself here because one of the strengths of the film, I love the fact you've got this probe. You don't know where it comes from. And that's one of the strengths. Another part of me wants to know which alien, which, like, these probes turn up. I kind of want to know where they're from. Um, yeah. Like because they 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 come, they go in right back to the beginning of the film. Spock talks about the fact that uh, whales predate humans by like five million years or some some crazy figure, <laughs> um, and like so the so the the kind of the whole film is alluding to the fact that whales potentially came from another planet before they populated Earth. Is, is, do you think it's getting at that? I, um, maybe mm. maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I can't. I do. I just want to know who sent the probe. Like, I love how cool yeah. it. I love the sense of mystery, but at the same time, like who sent it. Where where are they? Like just you know, I in my ideal world, this the, they'll suddenly announce a sequel tomorrow, which is really good. Um, kind of like two thousand and ten to two thousand and one, I guess, where they kind of they just go and try and find where this probe came from, which I think would be quite yeah. a cool film. But <laughs> how did the whales get there in the first place? Are they? Yeah, you know, all all, all of that I'd like to know. Like like Vija makes sense that just buggered off to another dimension, and yeah. carried on, and that's sort of explained. That's fair enough. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I honestly haven't given it much thought <laughs> to tell the truth, but but no. now you've said it, I want I want to know now. Now I want to know. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll write some fan fiction and answer the question ourselves. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Yeah. Are they are they in water in that in inside of that? Are they whales flying flying that, or is it artificial intelligence that seeded the universe with whales? What's the importance of whales? Why what? And why are they so chill about being wiped out as well? Maybe Spock went, I'll tell you what, if it works out with you two, we'll go back, we'll get some more, we'll rescue all the whales. So it's going to be all right. We're just going to, you know, it's not just going to be yeah, you, maybe. it's going to be a bunch of you. Or maybe it's, as you say, don't think too much about this film because not of all of it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's that too. <laughs> I'm going to go I'm going to go with they built an air of mystery. Um, I think that's what I'm going to go with. Of all the questions that the film asks of you that it doesn't answer, it's an air of mystery. Yeah. If it's a film I don't like, it's bad writing. If it's a film I do like, it's building an air of mystery. So um, it's a win-win situation, really. Um, yeah, I mean, overall, like, this is this is definitely... It's one of the film, Star Trek films I'm most nostalgic for. Um I don't, I don't know. It's it's always stuck in my head more so than the others. Maybe it's because I watched it younger than when I watched um, Wrath of Khan. I don't know. So this would have come out when I was four. So I wouldn't have seen. I don't. It's unlikely I would have seen it at the cinema. But I just, or maybe it just played a lot more on TV because it was a lot more TV friendly. That might be might be why I've seen more of it than some of the others. But it's. I think it's certainly the Star Trek film I've seen the most. Okay. Um, and as a result, you know, the most nostalgia for it is strong. And I just, yeah, I think it was it was a bold move to take the left turn into into the, the more comedic approach. And I think it, it worked remarkably well for it for the for the most part. As you said, the, the script's great. It's very funny in places, um, and it's it's a really really pacey, enjoyable film. So it's, I think it's up there up there with my favourites. I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, I would hate to rate it actually because I like, as you said, like treat them all as a whole. You know, like yeah, you know that I like. Um, motion picture as well so um all up to this point all of those I, if i can take a box set i'll take that with me that's fine with yeah. me. <laughs> and i'll smuggle in some other cds from another box set um for the next ones next movies coming up yeah, which are yeah less fun. successful <laughs> yeah not all of them I know, I've got, not all of them there's some good ones coming up 
I've got a fond spot for Undiscovered Country. I think I, I quite enjoy Undiscovered Country. Yeah. Um, but that pretty much brings us to the end of today's show. We'll be back in a week or two. We haven't quite decided on the time scale of these yet. With um, uh, Star Trek Five. Um, what is this? What's the subtitle of Star Trek Five again? Remind me of this. I thought I should know. Undisco- it in the no, on. it's not. It's. Uh... Good God! Why did we make this movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's where be why did we let Shatner dis- like? Uh, <laughs> why did we let let Shatner actually direct a movie? Um, Star Trek. Uh, it's the Final Frontier, isn't it? Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. So Star Trek. Star Trek. The Final Frontier. Star Trek. The Final Frontier. So yeah, we'll be back in yeah a week or two with review of Star Trek: The Final Frontier. Um, I mean, it might be four or five weeks, depending on how long it takes us to bring ourselves to watch it, because from memory and I don't think you, as much as you ch- you changed my mind on Star Trek The Motion Picture uh, when we recorded that episode I don't think you'll either A be able to or B want to try and change my mind on uh, Star Trek 5 <laughs> yeah this is going to be um, yeah a bit of a slog um, <laughs> but, but it's anyway because we'll, when we'll that's end, done we can move on to the next one and have fun with exactly one, when that's so. done we, we can get we can get through that that'll be the one episode that runs about 15 minutes <laughs> that, actually in Star Trek V's defence there's some good moments in this film there are some good moments in it but we, we will I get to that so yeah right now but I, I, I'm sure they will turn up that's, that's very yeah, yeah. Hope, hopefully hopefully because my memories aren't my memories aren't fond but we'll, oh, we'll get there we'll get I there. love the singing scene that's fabulous isn't it I love that <laughs> no I'm kidding I don't <laughs> right well that is that is it from us so um, follow us on social media Strangers in a Cinema on Facebook and Instagram at Strangers Cinema on Twitter um, if you have any thoughts on Star Trek 4 if you think you've missed anything anything that you like any highlights you want to tell us about Tell us about how fondly you remember it. Tell us we were wrong if you want. We'll um, probably we disagree. We didn't talk about um, Savick uh, having Spock's baby, but we're aware of that. You don't have to tell okay. us about that. That's fine. Or yeah, you can you? tell us that we haven't done mm. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We are aware that we're putting this out into into um, a fairly fervent fan base. So, yeah, come at us. <laughs> if you've got any problems with what we've said, come at us. We will respond politely. Uh, but that brings us to the end of Strangers in a Cinema in Focus for this week. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time. See you then.